Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, Paul uh, wrote many of the letters of the, the New Testament. It was the most prolific writer in the New Testament. This is just one of his letters. Paul uh, writing from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is found on page 917 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. This again, Romans chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained this access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you know that in a couple of weeks I'm going to be a commissioner to our uh, biannual general assembly for the PCUSA. It's a, our large gathering of our entire denomination uh, of commissioners from all over the country. This year we're doing it a little differently like we did last year in that we're going to be doing part of it in person. I'll go and be a part of a committee up there. But also we're doing part of it online. And so this year they asked, because part of it will be online, they asked each of us to make a little two-minute video to introduce ourselves to the other commissioners. Well, not wanting to do it wrong, I waited to see a few other videos before I filmed my video. I wanted to see what the other people were, other commissioners were putting in their video. And as you might imagine, they were not only introduced themselves, but they also talked about the church where they came from. Many of them even bragged about the things that their church was doing, bragged about the ministry, the size of their church, their, their favorite ministries that they were doing, lots of different things that they were proud of from their church. Some of them even dropped a few names. They would drop the name of their favorite pastor or their favorite preacher or someone who baptized them, in fact. They, they dropped names just so that they could brag a little bit and, and prove that they belonged at something like General Assembly. I started to think about things that I should be bragging about in my video. And there's lots to brag about around here. Lots of wonderful work that you do. I thought I could brag about that. I could brag about our team that just got back from Guatemala. I thought I could brag about our upcoming Bible school. Lots of things that I could brag about. And dropping names, that's no problem at all. I could just tell them I know Trinity or tell them I know Peter or tell them I'm married to Julianne. That would surefire impress them. But in the end, I decided on just doing a little 30-second video that just told them who I was, told them where I got the privilege to serve and how thankful I was to, to be a commissioner. Just a 30-second video because my parents always told me, it taught me not to brag. 
Don't toot your own horn. That's what they always taught me growing up. When I got a new toy and I took it to show it to my brother, my parents would be like, now don't rub it in his face. Don't brag, you know. Or when I made good grades at school and I would want to show everybody about it, they would say, no, no, don't brag. We're proud of you, but, but don't brag. But every now and then when I got a good report card, I would take it up to, to show my Uncle Vern because my Uncle Vern always liked to, to brag on his kids. And I would show it to him, and he would, I would say, no, Uncle Vern, we can't brag about this. And he would always say, son, it's not bragging if it's true. I always liked that. It's not bragging. You're just telling the truth. You know, the Bible talks a lot about boasting and bragging, too, especially the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote a good bit of the New Testament. He talks about bragging and boasting several times, and in fact, he says something similar to Uncle Vern. He doesn't say you shouldn't boast. He just says it's important to know what you should boast about. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love chapter, he talks about all the wonderful spiritual gifts that you might have, the ability to preach or to teach or to speak in tongues, but none of those things are worth boasting about if you don't have love. Boast about love, he said. <clears throat> Or in his letter to the Philippians, he talks about himself. He says, I have this long list of credentials. I was from the right family, and I was a Pharisee, and I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a really great person, but all of that stuff is garbage compared to the grace of God. Boast in the grace of God. And then here in this passage, he talks about boasting too. But this one is a little bit different. Let me see if I can paraphrase it for you. See if you can hear the difference. He says, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we boast in that grace on which we stand. But not only that, we also boast in our sufferings. Because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. We boast in our sufferings. I have to believe that when the Romans read that, that went over like a lead balloon. We don't boast in our sufferings. Sufferings are nothing to boast about. I have to tell you as a minister, I always tread lightly when I talk about suffering because you know as well as I do that there's so much suffering in the world that is senseless and unexplainable. Trying to make sense out of it, I think, is a futile task. There's so much suffering that we've all been through in the past few years. People who uh, suffered and even died during the pandemic. People who are suffering right now because they're refugees from foreign countries and their families have been torn apart. People who are suffering right now because of gun violence in our streets. People are suffering all around us and it is senseless to try to make sense of it. So why in the world would Paul tell us to boast in our sufferings? Well, before we throw Paul away like he's crazy, we have to remember that Paul suffered a lot in his own life. Paul suffered a great deal. He was thrown in prison many times for his faith. He was almost stoned to the point of death in a town called Lystra. At one point, he talks about this thorn in his side that he never really tells us exactly what it is, but we know it was some sort of physical ailment that he could not get rid of. But he still says, even with all of those things, he boasts in his suffering. 
And what's more, Paul also knew that there was so much suffering in the world. He saw people who were hungry, people who were hurting. He knew there was suffering in the world. And he knew that you could not try to explain it away easily. But that's not what Paul's trying to do in this little passage in Romans. He's not trying to explain suffering away. What he's trying to do is give us a little key to how we as disciples of Jesus Christ can endure the suffering we face. And that key is hope. Hope. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. Hope doesn't disappoint us. That means because we believe in Jesus Christ, because we know what the end of the story will be, because we believe that the kingdom will come, hope never disappoints us. Even when the senseless suffering of the world rages on. Let me give you an example. Some of you all know the great author Ann Weems. She's a Presbyterian, spent a lot of time in South Carolina. She passed away several years ago, but I like to read a lot of her, her poetry as well as her story. She likes to tell stories about her family too. One day she was telling a story in one of her books about her great-great-grandparents, or, or I'm sorry, just her great-grandparents, in fact, who were her, her grand, great-grandfather, John Stewart, who was a doctor in a little town called 96, South Carolina. I don't know if you've ever been to 96, South Carolina, but his, his grand, great-grandfather was a, a, the doctor in 96, South Carolina, and of course everybody would come to him anytime they needed anything for their health care. He was the only doctor there, and, and her great-grandmother, Mary, he was always right there by his side. Well, one day in the 1870s, typhoid came to the little town of 96 South Carolina. And so, of course, this Dr. John Stewart went and tried to care for all the people in the town, but slowly, one by one, people that he knew started to pass away. And then eventually, the inevitable happened. His, one of his daughters caught typhoid. Well, Dr. John Stewart stayed right by her side, cared for her as best she, he could until he discovered that one of his granddaughters also got typhoid. And so he tried to care for both of them, but then eventually his father-in-law caught typhoid, and then eventually he got typhoid, and all of them passed away. And Anne Reams writes about her great-grandmother Mary who lost her daughter and her granddaughter and her husband and her father all to that one same disease. And she writes these words, Oh, great-grand, how did you stand in that wind's fall? How did you put one foot in front of the other? Where did you get your strength? I know the answer. She was the one in charge, and she did what had to be done. She turned to her church, her faith, her God. She could have raged against God, but that was not her way. Instead, she called upon God to help her through the days that would come, to care for the children that God had seen fit to put in her care. Somewhere between the hurt and the heart must come the decision to reject or cling to faith. She clinged to faith. In the midst of that suffering, she clinged to faith and that helped her endure. She clinged to faith because she knew that hope would not disappoint her. She believed in the kingdom come and so she knew 
that hope would not disappoint her even though the world around her and all that was in it had. Paul knows that this world is full of suffering and we certainly see that suffering around us every single day. But when we cling to the faith that God gives us, that we can boast with joy even in the midst of our sufferings that God's will will be done, God's kingdom will come, and God will always, always, always have the last word. But for Paul, that's not just a key of enduring suffering, but that's also a key to our calling as Christians. Because you see, when we have that key of hope, when we believe that hope will never disappoint us, then we do not have to face the suffering of this world unafraid. We don't have to be afraid of the pain and the suffering in this world because we know that hope will not disappoint us. That means we are called as Christians to go out into the world to those people who are suffering and suffer by their side to stand with them, to point to hope in the midst of their suffering so that they might see us and realize that hope will not disappoint them. I've told you about some friends of mine, Steve and Cheryl Osborne, before. They are folks who have, have moved to Guatemala permanently and run their own orphanage down there. They had gone on a trip, much like our trip uh, that our our church members just took, had gone down there to, to serve in some orphanages in Guatemala and got that call and got that bug and decided to go back. But finally, when they got there and they realized how the system worked in Guatemala, they realized that there's so much corruption in the government that a lot of the money meant to go to these poor and innocent children wasn't getting there at all. And so Cheryl started to speak out against the government there and people started to get mad at her. They started to threaten her life. She and her husband even founded their own little orphanage and people would come by their orphanage daily threatening her, putting her, persecuting her, telling her she needed to come back home to the United States. She did have to flee from time to time to try to save her own life, but people would often ask her, I'm sure her friends and family would ask her, why don't you just stay here? Why do you have to go back and put yourself through so much suffering, put yourself through so much Worry, put yourself through so much persecution. I'd like to think it's because she clings to faith. And that faith helps her endure. That help, faith reminds her that hope will not disappoint us. We have to have hope even in the midst of pain and suffering. We have to have hope even when this world doesn't make sense. We have to have hope because that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so when we go out into the world and we see those people who are suffering around us, those people who can't pay their bills, those people who are being despised and rejected and face prejudice for stupid reasons every day, we are called to go stand by their side and suffer with them so that people might look at us and see the hope of God. I wish I could tell you that will put the end to suffering. I wish I could tell you it put the end to suffering in Paul's life, but i got to tell you that's not the case. Paul suffered and Paul even died at the hands of the Romans, just like Jesus Christ did. But even when Paul suffered, Paul continued to point to God all the same. 
He continued to write those letters from prison. He, there's a wonderful story in Acts where even in prison he's singing hymns even though he knows he's being persecuted. Paul's faith, Paul's hope didn't put an end to his suffering. But Paul's hope wasn't in his, uh, his self, in his own life. Paul's hope was in something greater. Paul's hope was in thy kingdom come and thy will be done. One of my favorite parables that I love to share, I've shared it with you before, it's the story of a monk who faced an evil dictator who wanted to crush his faith. He had faced the dictator many times and now the dictator was torturing him, telling him it's time for you to, to re recall your faith and give up on your faith. And he was, he was beating him and torturing him for days. He called out to him and said, call on your God and tell him to come and save you, just like those Romans did to Jesus. But finally, in the midst of his pain and his suffering, the, the little monk looked up at the dictator and said, if you give me a sheet of paper... I can write down some words that are so powerful you will never be able to defeat me. The dictator was intrigued. He handed him a sheet of paper and said, write down those magic words. And the little monk scribbled words on a sheet of paper, folded it up, handed it back to the dictator. He snatched it out of his hand and then struck him down and killed him with a sword. Thinking he had won, the dictator pulled open the sheet of paper, and it read, You may take my life, but not my faith. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we always have hope. Hope never disappoints us. Hope never fails, even when the suffering of this world seems unbearable. When it's unbearable, we still have hope. When we're breathing our last breath, we still have hope. When all hope is gone, we still have hope. Now that might sound a little like I'm bragging. But it's not bragging if it's true. To the glory of God. Amen. Amen.